Hi, this is Beth Capici and welcome to the Never Perfect Podcast. I'm a psychologist and I believe that embracing the fact that no aspect of life is perfect actually makes us happier and healthier and motivates us to achieve more. It also helps us become more real and compassionate with ourselves and others. In my counseling office, I deal with a little bit of everything. So in this podcast, you'll also probably be hearing a little bit of everything. Not only professional advice, but also some of my favorite and least favorite personal stories. I'm also going to be interviewing people who are brave enough to share their stories with us. I believe that everyone has a lot to teach and a lot to learn no matter what their background is and in spite of their imperfections. You don't have to be perfect to be inspiring. If you have heard my introduction segment and sort of why I chose to do this podcast, then you might be able to piece together why I chose this guest for today. Her name is Gail, and she's actually visiting from Minnesota, and she lives on an island in Minnesota, and she's in her 60s, and as soon as I met her, I knew she was a kindred spirit, and the fact that she's a very close friend to my friend Amanda, who is also a kindred spirit, kind of should have led me to know that she and I might really hit it off. But what also intrigued me about her is that she has been a nurse for over 35 years, and she has most recently been a hospice nurse, and she has been with 75 people as they were passing on. I actually did my dissertation research on grief and loss, and I'm very fascinated and passionate about the subject of helping people understand their grief and work through their grief, but also understanding more about the dying process, especially since so many people in this last year have not been able to be with their loved ones as they were dying or very minimal people were allowed to even be with those who were dying this year because of COVID. So Gail has some really sacred and incredible stories to share with us about her experience. And I just wanted to glean some wisdom from her and hear some really neat stories. So here's Gail. What matters to you? And what do you want to be remembered for? And just trying to understand ourselves and become more self-aware based on questions like, what do you talk about? What do you spend your time doing? What are people going to remember about you? And so as we think about this type of thing, the topic of death comes up. And as people think about, when am I going to die? 
What are people going to remember about me? What is the meaning of life? Someone like my guest today, whose name is Gail Gagne, is a perfect person to interview because she is a nurse and she's been in nursing for 38 years and been working with hospice and people who are dying for 10 years and has been with about 75 people as they are dying and has asked a lot of soul searching questions to these people and also spoken to college students Mm -hmm. at different universities about really just kind of preparing for life and just pointing out that death is so much a part of life and how do we prepare for that. So welcome, Gail. Thank you. Gail's a Canadian (laughs) and she lives in Minnesota. I do. And she's in her 60s (laughs) and she's a good friend of a good friend of mine. And I'm really privileged to meet her. I think she's a kindred spirit and just excited to hear about her experience and what she has to teach us and share with us. So can you maybe tell us like what you do or share some stories or... (laughs) Well, I live on an island in the middle of a lake. Wow. So I spend a lot of time alone and um, have lots of time for reflection. When I started working in hospice, I had to learn to drive a boat in the middle of the night because I would get calls at two or three in the morning and have to navigate and go into our little community to be with people. So um, the whole death and dying work that I have been doing for 10 years has really expanded my horizons personally. Mm-hmm. Um just examining um, how I look forward to the future of my life and how that life will be and how the ending can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have forced my children, who are now much older than when I started, mm-hmm. uh, to examine theirs and to look at... Uh, I have a son who's a firefighter, and he he said, well, Mom, I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. Because I said, you really need to look at your advanced directive, we call it. I mm-hmm. mean, how if you are hurt or you're in an accident, you know, do you want to be hooked up to tubes? He said, yeah, I want to be hooked up for 30 years, at least 30 years. And I and wow. I'm going, you you know, I was a bit shocked at that. And then he, he laughed about it. And then he went, yeah, I really need to think about it because his first reaction was cocky. Uh-huh. And because he deals in abrupt situations, mm-hmm. he he did think about it. But he and his wife have have written their living wills as young people. And young mm-hmm. people often think they don't need right. to do that. But um, I think examining death is very important, even as a young person, because ultimately it's going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. And the cool part, if you're a young person, is let's have the discussion now. Let's write down your wishes today. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah, like, you might can, be 50 years before right. you have to You might have this. to redo it if you get married and, and, and you have a wife who who wants to talk to you or a husband who wants to talk to you about your wishes. But um, the, I think we avoid it. Yes. Our society avoids it. Yes. And the discussion. And so mm-hmm. I, that's... I deal with people in a in a death situation who have been told they're going to die. Mm-hmm. And... It comes as a terrible shock to some people. Mm -hmm. Like, really? It's interesting you said that because it just triggered a couple of thoughts. One of which is my dissertation was on grief. And in my literature review, there was a quote in one of the books I read that said, America has been described as a death-denying society. Mm -hmm. And one thing that struck me 
I read this book from maybe the 1700s. Uh, it was called Stepping Heavenward. Oh. And, but books like that, that was one of several books that I remember reading, even like Pride and Prejudice and Little Women, just mm-hmm. any books from sort of the Victorian or earlier periods mm-hmm. where they say things like, I hope my child survives the winter. Right. And, and I, every time that happens, it was just so jarring. We like, don't think about that. We don't think about that. We just assume, oh, 77 is the average life expectancy or somewhere mm-hmm. around that time. And we just don't like to think about it, most mm-hmm. people. And I think that even though it's understandable to not want to have to think about dying, I really, and you're probably the best person to speak <laughs> to this, I think we do ourselves a huge disservice <laughs> by, and for many reasons, one of which is not being prepared, like with the, you know, the preparations, I can't remember what you called the... Advanced directives. Advanced directives. Right, right. Um but also just psychologically and mentally yeah. and in every way, like what matters, like right. life is limited and no one knows how much time they have. Yeah. And there's that, you know, the Pat saying of, you know, live every day or live every moment for mm-hmm. today or live today and every moment in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, some days those are really hard things to do. Oh, uh, yeah. right. Like you can't always have that. You can't yeah, suck the marrow out of life every day. No, let's climb Mount Everest today. Um, but I think it helps to have goals. Mm-hmm. I think it helps to set those goals. Uh, I th- isn't there a country in Western song, Live Like You're Dying? Mm. Um, which is bold. Yeah. It's but bold. be more intentional. Intentional. Like, we have limited time. Yeah. Let's really stop and think like the bucket list yeah. that everyone talks about. Mm-hmm. When I matters. work with someone who's dying, I say to them, and when I say that they're dying, that usually means in a hospice situation, it means they've been told they have a terminal illness and they have a finite amount of time. Is it usually six months? Six to nine months usually okay. in, in hospice. So what my encouragement is always, if, if someone says that to you, get involved in a hospice or get involved in someone who can help you navigate that because mm-hmm. those are big words. Oh, those are yeah. big words. My father was told he had six months to live when he was 47 years old and he crossed it off on the ca- Every night he'd call me in his room and he'd say, well, there goes one day. He, he was 47 years old. He lived till the night before he turned 86. <gasps> He lived 33 more years in in depression, in a nursing home with his, I mean, because he was told that. Oh my. And no one ever sat down and said, well, first of all, you you don't say that unless you're absolutely sure. And they were not absolutely sure at that time. But today's day and age, when, when someone has got a terminal illness, there is a finite amount of time. Sometimes it can be arranged, but Mm -hmm. still my first question is, okay, last new thing you will ever do. Mm. How would you like it to go? So I've had people say, oh, we're not going to get that trip to Hawaii. So we arrange, a par- you go to the dollar store and you pick up lays and you pick up skirts and you turn the heat up and where we live is very cold. So you need to do that if it's winter. And they have, they have a luau and they have people over and they have a, a party Make it happen in and a make different it, and, way. And yeah, I had another couple who were going, wanted to go to Alaska. So we found people who had been to Alaska with videos and um, they ate salmon and watched videos of Alaska and turned the heat down. So it was a little chilly. Oh, nice. But just to, just to have, so that it wasn't regret. Like a portion of that experience in a, in a different way to yeah. kind of mimic it or recreate mm-hmm. it. 
So it's not regretful. It's, oh, there. My mother-in-law always wanted to do uh, whitewater rafting. Uh And as she was dying, uh, my husband found on YouTube people who had had a GoPro on uh-huh. a whitewater raft. So we all sat in the living room. On the, they had a big screen TV, and we all sat there. Kind of virtually oh, 3D kind of. And if someone's regret in life is that they didn't whitewater raft, then yay. If it's, oh, I didn't spend enough time with so-and-so, well, where is so-and-so, and can we get so-and-so here to spend some like time? You make the most of the time you have left. Mm-hmm. You make the most of those experiences you didn't fully get to have, but you figure part of it is better than none of Not it. That, nothing, yeah. Wow. Because I think a lot of times people think if they're told that they have a finite amount mm-hmm. of time, and honestly, part of me feels like I might be a little that way. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm going to go to bed and pull the covers up, and I'm just going to let it happen. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not. I've also lived a really big life mm-hmm. and a really full life, so I sometimes think, well, that would be okay too. Because I've and done I have that, had, right? And I have had people that way that were, you know, what I feel so ill. I just want to be quiet. So some people it lights a fire under them. Like I have to start accomplishing and others say, you know, this is, I've done so much. Mm -hmm. I'm happy and satisfied. It was enough. Like I don't need more. Yeah. So it's really interesting to just see how each person deals with that. Yeah. And um, in, in doing college classes about what it's like to die and we, we, uh, go through an experiential piece mm-hmm. um, where I've, I've received feedback from those classes where they have to write a review at the end of the class. And they're like, well, I came to class today and I didn't think I was going to die. <laughs> um, but where they really have to self-examine and look mm-hmm. at what is important in your world. Mm-hmm. Is it stuff? Yeah. Because boy, the first thing we think about is stuff. Is it food? Mm-hmm. Because the last thing you need when you're dying is food, which is super interesting because it's the first thing we think about in the day, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, what am I going to have? So um, what is important? What Your priorities change. <sighs> Big time. And ultimately what I've seen with the 75 souls I've worked with is it's still about people. Mm-hmm. And even if the people, they maybe haven't had a great relationship in their life, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it gives time to examine all that. Oh, yeah. And I think... Uh, to encourage people to do that in the present is really good. Mm-hmm. Like if you've got people in your world that you're not comfortable with, it's okay to go, you know what? I've only got so much time here and I'm wasting it in this environment. That's I need true. to move. I need to move. I need to move forward. I need to. And I've only learned that over 66 years. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> the lessons we learn late in our lives that we wish we'd learned earlier, but at least we're learning them at some point. And mm-hmm. I can't even mm-hmm. imagine all the life lessons and just how sacred those moments are that you have with people in their final weeks and months and days mm-hmm. and, and being there for some of those moments where mm-hmm. they're saying goodbye to people or apologizing. And you know, when you're dying, I think we can all probably, we've all been with someone who is dying and we feel that sadness and you did your dissertation on grief. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is, when that's happening in a family, when someone's dying or in a community, um, we're saying goodbye to that person and we feel sad and we feel our grief is huge and how will we ever move forward in life? Think about the person that's doing the dying. Mm-hmm. They are saying goodbye to every single solitary thing that's familiar, right down to the taste of bacon, mm. right? So 
So often people that want to pull up the blankets and have quiet, that's what they're doing. They're saying goodbye to the mm-hmm. taste of bacon mm-hmm. and, and really reflecting and, and work. It's hard work. It's like uh, a woman who has a child goes through labor to deliver mm-hmm. and a, people who are dying go through labor of leaving. Mm. And it's fascinating to watch because there's an active dying where you're sick and you're on medication. And then you go into this gray space where you're not really uh, mentally present in the room anymore. You're, you've gone into this place where, mm-hmm. where I've witnessed people who talk to people who passed before mm-hmm. them and, um, a lot mm-hmm. people who review their life uh you know they say when you have a an accident your life flashes yes like you're gonna I've heard you know, this instant dying um but in a in a lingering death mm-hmm. um it's really interesting you I, I remember hearing men who grew up on farms talking about well i need to go feed the chickens mm-hmm. uh, you know things like that and i've also heard them talking about bridges a lot of chat about bridges from really? here to there. Like this bridge is really long. Wow. Yeah. I walked into one older woman who's in her eighties and she's clearly talking to someone at the end of the bed and she did not know I was in the room. And she's like, mom, so an 85 year old woman speaking to her mother and she was being impatient. The mother apparently was being impatient because this lady's going, now I'll get there when I get there. Stop being so impatient with me. So really comforting yeah. <laughs> as a witness to that. It's like, oh, those people you love are still there somewhere. You mm-hmm. just can't see and them. And I think many you're... of us feel that and yeah. they feel the support of that um, when they're making decisions and when they're looking at their lives that, you know, and I think faith steps in there, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what your faith looks mm-hmm. like, um, even just faith in moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings comfort and that brings the ability to sit and look at, at today. How do mm-hmm. I get through today? Mm-hmm. And it is a moment at a time. But when you really look at life, it's a moment at a time. And it's mm-hmm. the decision you make at that. So I think having the awareness that let's not wait till it's the last six months of your life. Let's get in there and mm-hmm. live for today and find the joy you can. Yeah. Even through the stuff. And, you know, you deal with people who are dealing with this stuff. And it's always um, a blessing and a gift mm-hmm. to find someone you can talk to about those things. Well, I do agree with, you know, what you were saying with knowing that time is finite and there's a limit has a, a, an amazing amount of value for us, I think, in our thinking and our priorities, because we tend to just think we have all the time in the world and we waste our time on mundane things. I mean, I've been thinking about that in my own life, like the amount of time I like to go shopping, uh, dumb shopping. I love it. But or the amount of time that we spend playing soccer or with our kids or and that's wonderful. Yes. But if we knew that we only had a year or two left, mm-hmm. would we be playing soccer every weekend mm-hmm. or would we do something else? It's funny, my daughter, uh, who has a seven and a four year old. Um, during the time of COVID has said uh, her initial, she's a bit of a jokester and uh-huh. not sure where she gets that from. But she said, you know, I didn't have children to spend 24 hours a day with them. 
because there's the job and there's the hockey practice and there's the daycare and there's all, like you say, all those things. And yet now after a year, she's loving, she is relishing this time. I think it Mm -hmm. seems like she is where I kind of like that. I don't have the hectic schedule and Mm -hmm. Christmas doesn't mean a dinner here at the in-laws and a dinner here at my dad's house and a dinner here at like that is true. And without going too much into COVID, I do think that two of the biggest blessing in disguise aspects Mm -hmm. of COVID that Mm -hmm. I've seen have been the slowing down, the simplicity, the pace, having to spend more time with the most important people. And you don't have to do so much, just hone in on what matters the most. But also really what you're talking about with death, like the awareness that we really should have had all along, we could die at any time, Mm -hmm. like no one is guaranteed tomorrow. And being prepared for that reality of now COVID makes it much more real, like who's next, what's going to happen. It makes you really stop and think, what matters? Am I ready to die? Like, what do I want to spend my time doing? Because Mm -hmm. we could die at any point. We always could, but we don't realize that. Well, I think it's become a reality for all generations right now. Like I was talking to my granddaughters at Christmas and they're 11 and nine and they were both going, you know, this could be in the history books. Mm -hmm. We're going to be reading about this and we'll be able to tell our story. Yeah. Like the depression, living in the depression. And we never had a conversation like that before Mm -hmm. where how important this has been for something we're all experiencing and again, I equate that to dying. We're all going to experience it. Yes. So let's, I think having the conversation is huge yeah. in families. In um, My stepdad died about seven years ago, and my mom um, had been with him for 30-some years. Mm-hmm. And he was diagnosed and was dying quickly. And he looked at me straight in the eye and said, you better be here. I'm like, yeah, I'll be here. So I went outside, we drove down. Yeah. And he lives about 1200 miles away, but Mm -hmm. we drove down and we were there and he, um, but my mom had had a dad die at 101 who died of a heart attack and died. So there was no, it's like, Oh, well he finished his life. No. And so really it was the biggest event in, in her life. Uh, and, and my sister's lives. And my sister pointed out the other day, she said, I remember you sitting with us on the bed with your little book that you use for every other family you've been with on how is this going to go? And there is a pretty set way when someone's dying slowly, mm-hmm. that there's a pretty set way of how it goes. And, and they've all said that brought such a comfort and took the anxiety. And by that, do you mean when they stop eating, you know, they typically have a few more days, that kind of right. thing. And, Time frame. and it's okay that he's not eating. The worst, the families freak out the absolute very most with the food thing. Yeah. When they stop Again, eating, they freak out. Because the most out. important thing in our lives is, oh, well, you have to have sustenance. Mm-hmm. You have to have nutrition in order to live. And I always, and I always like leave a big pause and go, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh-huh. right now, the living isn't the big thing. It's the dying that's the big thing. And actually, someone who has a cancer, the worst thing you can do is pump food into them. Mm-hmm. It, it nourishes the disease. So really, there and, and increases pain when your metabolism increases, the pain increases. So really, it's a pleasure. But you know what I do for people who find they still want to do something? Is you know the honey you can get with the bear? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get them to get that and cut the top and then you can put it right in someone's mouth mm-hmm. and give a little bit of taste and honey tastes delicious. Mm-hmm. It makes people around the person feel better because, oh, look, they're eating. Without doing much yeah. damage. And trying to shove, instead of shoveling soup and yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun that, but knowing those things doesn't come as such a shock. If you're prepared, mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, this is what's supposed to happen. And look, we go like through. a guide for these Absolutely. people. Absolutely. And they call it now, they've got a new name now, like death doula mm. is the name, like a birth doula, mm-hmm. someone who helps bring mm-hmm. people in. This is people who help take people. Um, they wow. don't help take people out. They support people. You have to watch how you say that. And, of course, I come from a country now where people can choose mm-hmm. to die. So that's mm-hmm. a whole other um, ball game too. And the work is done with someone where they can choose their date death, the date of their death. And yeah. So it's a big, it's a big issue right now. And I think COVID has brought it to a forefront and I'm really glad we're talking about it today because maybe this can help someone go. Hmm, it will. I hope so. What was that statement you made about what a privilege it is to bring a life into the world. As in, like as an obstetrical nurse. Yeah. Uh, I, I only helped bring one life and it was in nursing school. <laughs> I helped. It was right on a bed. This woman delivered and it's just the most awesome. Well, and if you've had your own child, it's uh-huh. a pretty awesome, awe inspiring. Yeah. Like a miracle. Painful. <laughs> a supernatural. But part of that your body. And and the opposite is laboring, is laboring it's a process. to leave. Laboring through in the stages of, of childbirth and labor. And then you have the stages towards death. Like when the breathing is labored, you can tell the death rattle and all those things. All and you're there to hold people's hands, like yeah. maybe not literally all the time, but figuratively. Or the other thing I, I do is uh, in the community we live in, people die at home. So it's not like some communities have a hospice house where there's mm-hmm. staff and, you know, family members can come be there. But this is people's homes where the person's in their living room mm-hmm. on a hospital bed. So it's teaching the family how to bring comfort and that, and um, teaching them how to help their person exit. Right. Explaining what they're seeing, helping them afraid. know. Yes. And as someone's dying, there's less and less care involved. Mm-hmm. So how did you put it bringing people into the world with birth and helping bring people out of the world mm-hmm. and death? How did you put it? I feel like it was much more eloquent. I don't remember. Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Um, labor, you labor to come in and you labor to go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that it? I don't know. Yeah. I, I just know. love the yeah. way you put that, but you know, a few questions mm-hmm. and things that I've heard that I'm curious, like if you have any thoughts or experiences. Ah! Oh, so I could pick your brain for hours about so many topics related to this. I'd just love to glean all your wisdom. But a few things I've heard that I wanted to ask you about are I've heard that hearing is the last to go when you die. And I've heard that a lot of people hold on until their last loved one gets there before they die. And then I've heard different things about people wanting to be alone when they die versus not being alone when they die. Mm -hmm. So could you share some thoughts or (laughs) input on any of that? Sure. Let's do the hearing one first. Good. Um, uh, It's absolutely true. Like even though someone seems, perhaps we would call it comatose where they're not communicating 
currently with anybody in the room, often they're doing their life review or who knows what. We won't know until we get there. Mm -hmm. But often I hear people talking and chatting to others that aren't in the room. But the one the one example that, that I can give you the, the most like uh, just to clarify, someone who's dying, you can hear them having conversations with, with other someone people. who's mm-hmm. in the afterlife that you can't see. That's the assumption, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're very clear, direct conversations. And um I, I would, you know, give a nickel to listen to the other side, but we don't get that privilege. So mm-hmm. um yeah, I had a woman who was decorating a room her room. You know, I've never done a blue room before. And I'm going, well, maybe she's preparing for what she'll... Her room. Who knows? Who knows? But it's fascinating to listen to. But she was a woman who uh, was missing her mom, but but she was in that place where she wasn't talking much anymore, but she kept saying her mother's name. And her mom lived in a far away. And so we phoned mom, and we put the phone on her pillow next to her. Mm-hmm. And... Mom, of course, was nervous. Like, what should I say to her? And of course, she was sad. Her daughter's dying. And I said, I just want you to talk about stories from her life. If you've got books handy, read a book to her. Mm-hmm. If you sang songs. And then we left the room. And th- it was three hours. The mom just, we could hear from, the, we were in the living room and you could hear her singing and you could hear her just talking to her daughter and loving her daughter from a distance. The daughter didn't have a clue whether mom was in the room or not. Oh, that's amazing. But you saw a peace come over her that was like, oh, mom's here. That was what she needed, was she to hear need, her mother's voice. Absolutely. She didn't know that she was there in the flesh no. or not. Nope. So that was great. And I think it was a, yeah, the, it was a three hour long distance phone bill back then. Oh. Um, yeah, we did, but her husband didn't care. Um, oh. Then, what was our other one? Hearing. Yes. Oh, people waiting. waiting. For people. Yes. Um, I, I've seen that many times. But the problem with that is there is that the story of, oh, she waited until her son got there until she let go. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And people try rapidly to get there mm-hmm. and they don't make it. And then there's a lot of guilt involved. So I don't try to. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I go back to what we said earlier, which is. Do this early when you're told you've got a finite amount of time. Visit with people, talk to people so that there isn't that, oh, my goodness, they have to be present. The presence becomes the gift of talking and sharing and when you're feeling good. So in general, maybe the the most common thing is people try to hang on until their last child or their last loved one or the last sibling or Mm -hmm. whoever gets there. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people can't hold on or sometimes people prefer to pass away before that person is in the room. Well, and there should be no guilt involved in that. None. Right. And I think we're in a mess right now with the COVID where Mm -hmm. people are dying alone. Mm -hmm. However, we have the blessing of these machines where you can have, I mean, Zoom calls have become as a grandma who hasn't seen her grandkids in over a year, it's become our connection and we can see eye to eye and we can, mm-hmm. we just can't touch. And I think um, that's become a blessing for people who are isolated and dying. And what I realize is the majority of people I've been with, they don't want a whole bunch of people around holding their hands and their feet and singing and doing. They want, often people want to just be alone to let go. Um, and I, so I think in some ways, I hope 
that the guilt some families feel in not being present, they can know that dying isn't a lone thing. It's not a group activity. Yeah. And um, I, what, the one example I think of is a, it, it, it is a little family had three adult kids and mom. And we, all we did was sit around and talk and the kids were playing cribbage and and that mom was relishing. You could just tell she just didn't want to, even though she was getting towards the end, it was lingering and lingering and lingering. And she I was ready to go, but she felt like she didn't want to leave the party. As she said, she didn't want, if you like a party, you just don't want to leave. So I, I suggested that we go out and one of the sisters was a smoker. And in the time it took to smoke a cigarette, as we came in, she took her last breath and she was able to die peacefully and not with noise. Some people want music. Some people don't want music. So I think it's just this calm thing in environment. And I know the nurses that are working on the front of, of this pandemic right now are doing their very best to be comforting and to even in the chaos they're all working in. I mean, look at the ones that are holding the computers for people and making sure that those connections are made and um, you, it's mm. not something, I mean, we were trained to bring comfort to people, mm -hmm. but this is um, a large task that they're being given. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I really respect that. And that I hope families learn that, that they as a family are doing the best that they can in this situation. And mm -hmm. uh, this is just hopefully going to be really encouraging for people to hear and especially those who weren't able to be with loved ones who were dying in the hospital or wherever with COVID and on quarantine or on the other side of the world. Yeah. Right. Other geographical yeah. locations, a few stories that come to mind that are kind of relevant and might bring some other thoughts to mind for you are my mother, who's also a therapist said that she heard a story from one of her clients that I guess as her mother was dying or someone was dying, she said to her daughter, stop praying. Every time you pray, the angels or whoever, they stop coming for me. And I love it. And they were coming for her and her daughter would pray and they would stop. Mm -hmm. And then her daughter would stop praying and they would come for her. And she wanted to go. She mm -hmm. was ready to go. Mm -hmm. And that was just an amazingly powerful story to hear that. Mm -hmm. And I do think that brings one other question, but I also still want to tell you the story because I think it's really important. But um, I, so my question relates to the gift of telling people it's okay to go. And I can't oh. even imagine how much you have to say on that. I've heard a lot. <coughs> but the last very quick story is one of my dearest, oldest, you know, friends from college, her mother, who she was extremely close to was dying about age 69 or so. And my friend was just heartbroken, but she was by her side in ICU. She had battled with um, cancer, like bone cancer, blood cancer for, for you know, maybe eight years. And um, my friend wanted to be with her and was at her side like night and day. And but her mother had told her, like, I don't want you to have to watch me die. She said, I watched my mother die. And it was just so painful to see her laboring to breathe and just all that. Not pretty. So mm -hmm. she told my friend, I don't want you there when I die. And my, my friend was by her side constantly and she left to go to the bathroom and her mother died mm -hmm. like a minute later. Mm -hmm. And that speaks Happens to what you time. said. Yep. 
So, so what would be your explanation to my friend or people like that? who are like, I was there every minute, but I just <laughs> left to get lunch or because people, I mean, the first thing that pops into my head is like people like to go to the bathroom alone. It's a very private thing. It's a and sacred it's the same space. thing. It's a it's supernatural like, transition. Yeah. I had a I had a couple who'd been married sixty five years, and every time he he would labor in his breathing, and you you'd, you'd go there'd be a pause because often that happens. There's like a ten second, twenty second pause. She'd pinch him because <laughs> she didn't want him to go. Right. So she kept pinching him. Finally, I looked over and said, "You got to quit doing that." Like. Because it does interfere with the, pro- it is a process, it, like laboring and the baby will come out. Yes, you're right? transitioning and it's into a different thing, No matter what you, I mean, I've seen women in, in labor who go, I don't want, you know, let's stop this now. Well, it's not gonna, and mm-hmm. neither is the other way. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and, and I think it's, please don't feel guilty about the fact that you weren't there. Your mother told you she didn't want you there. And she that meant, was probably the intention. And you know what? Your mom meant business. <laughs> and they needed to focus on where they're going and yeah. not maybe bridge, like be on the fence of mm-hmm. the old life and the new life. Like mm-hmm. they're straddling the fence and maybe they're hanging on for you, but that's where maybe the greatest gift you can give them is to say, it's okay to go. It, yes. And, and oh. we really encourage people to do that. It is, oh, it, yeah. it, which is huge. I mean, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it sounds arrogant. Like it's okay to let go. And, um, yeah, we'll talk about that at another time because it's big. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, I just remembered. That right before my friend's mother died, my friend got the courage to say, Mom, don't worry about us. Like we are sturdy stock. I just remember, I have forgotten this. That's why I kind of got choked up. Mm-hmm. She said, mom, we're sturdy stop and we're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. Don't mm-hmm. hang on for us. Yeah. And then, you know, she went to the bathroom maybe within the hour and her mom was able to like let go. And what I do say to family members who obviously have to go to the bathroom or go get some food, every time you leave the room, say bye. Mm-hmm. And you don't say, you know, I'll see you in a minute. Like, just say goodbye, mm-hmm. period. Just goodbye. And you're going to go and maybe you'll come back. But you had your goodbye. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I've just heard so many times, like, saying, it's okay to go. We want you to do what's best for us. Like, that's what love is. It's like what's best for people, mm-hmm. loving, giving them what's healthy and best. Yeah. And some of them hang on because they're like, they're not going to be okay. They're not ready for me to go. You see some parents hanging on if they have children who are troubled, mm-hmm. who've never resolved, and, and they can be 90 years old and they still have troubled kids. And, yeah. Um, you see that. Like they still or need people me. people who've lived life of, of a regret where mm. it's like, dang, I didn't see enough of my kids. I didn't, you know, where there's that. I missed out. I missed I didn't out. didn't smell all the roses mm-hmm. or take enough time for mm-hmm. my loved ones. Wow. That's. My mother-in-law was that way. She lived a life that she died at 63 and she was angry that she hadn't lived. She lived in a controlling relationship and he didn't let her travel. He let her smoke and let her drink. Mm -hmm. And that was so sad because, and then it was this 
seething mm-hmm. anger that she couldn't let go of, no matter how we, we tried to pray it away, we, you know, oh. just try to bring her calm. And yeah, it was really difficult. But she was an example where we'd been with her night and day. Mm-hmm. And finally, uh, we said, we're, we're going to go home and get some sleep now. And the husband who's drunk all night was awake mm-hmm. and a bit sober. So he phoned us within five minutes of us leaving the house that she died. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, you just. Yeah, we can't live life the way that we want to live it all the time. And mm-hmm. but if we can be aware of time is finite and it's limited and mm-hmm. we have to really think about what matters and make the most. But we can't beat ourselves up because we all make so many mistakes and mm-hmm. wish we could do a lot of things differently. Yeah. Um, well, this is so valuable and so thought provoking. Thank, Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. My absolute pleasure. I'm so glad I had the chance to meet you. Me too. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.